some comparisons are ridiculous. If during the basketball game, the knockout game during intermission, you win the game and then you go to shout, I am amazing, I play basketball like Michael Jordan, that would be ridiculous, right? Or if you grabbed the chalk, which is somewhere around this camp, and you started doing some drawing and you drew something beautiful, let's say you're an art major or something, and you finish your drawing and you go to show it off and you say, this is just like the Mona Lisa. That would be ridiculous. If you take the hike up to Flat Rock this afternoon, and on your way up there you'd say, this is just like climbing Mount Everest. (laughs) You see, that would be ridiculous, right? Some comparisons are ridiculous. And I want to show you a comparison that, that actually is ridiculous, but it's not only ridiculous, but it's true. And Jesus said it about you. It's that quote printed at the top of your handout. Look with me at it from John chapter 20. It's a jaw-dropping comparison that Jesus makes about you. John 20 and 21. John 20, excuse me, verse 21. Jesus said to them, this is the resurrected Jesus speaking to his disciples. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. Did you catch the ridiculous comparison indicated by that little word as? As the Father sent Jesus to the world, so Jesus sends his disciples into the world. That's a startling and amazing comparison. It prompts us to ask this question. Well, if we're sent the way Jesus was, how was Jesus sent? Think with me about it for a moment. Jesus was sent from intertrinitarian bliss. He enjoyed mutual delight in the Father and in the Holy Spirit for eternity. A perfect world of love and delight. That's what the Trinity enjoyed before time. And from that place of perfect delight, Jesus was sent to the world? Wow. He was sent to a messed up and a dirty world that would largely reject him and not receive him. Think about it. Jesus was sent out of perfect comfort and perfect love being perfectly known to a world that wouldn't know him. Jesus was sent to love a people that wouldn't love him back. Jesus was sent out of a a place of perfect safety and security so that the people in the world who were in danger could find safety in him. And as the Father sent Jesus, gang, so he's sending you. So he's sending all of us who call ourselves disciples of Jesus Christ. To be a Christian is to be a person sent like Jesus. That's what it says in this text. And what is so startling, but also maybe encouraging about this, is this really helps us to overcome some of the obstacles we face when we think about some of the things we've been talking about over the last couple of days. Right? Discipleship feels hard. We have our own fears, our own anxieties, our own insecurities, securities, our own weaknesses, our own sense of discomfort when we talk about trying to, to help other people know Jesus better. But we're empowered to do that as we remember. We've been sent by and like Jesus. God sent Jesus for you. God sent Jesus out of his perfect comfort and delight to, because he loved you and wanted to save you. And he didn't only save you, but he also has a mission for you. And we're gonna talk about how we can live into that mission more fully this morning. Would you pray with me again as we 
uh, consider these things. God, we thank you for the remarkable and really the ridiculous comparison that you make in your word. God, help us to be a people who live as sent ones, as ones who have been sent out of security, out of comfort, to, to, be, uh, to be willing to be discomforted for the sake of others. God, I pray that what Jesus has done for us would help us do similar things for others. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. We've been walking through in this discipleship track and we've talked about a number of things, including how the spirit works in us, right? Remember that? What Dave talked about, the spirit works in us and then it works through us, right? We talked about love as well, how we don't wanna love in a cultural way, but we want to love like Christ. But in spite of all of those things, maybe you were like me and you felt like, yeah, all that's true, Dave. I, I really agree with you, but there's a lot of hard things about discipling. Right? There's obstacles and difficulties that, that just hold me back. And what we're going to do this morning is, is trying, trying to maybe think about it this way. We're going to address the elephant in the room of the obstacles we feel when we move towards other people to disciple them, to help them know Jesus better. There are obstacles. There's an elephant in the room. And what we're going to do is we're going to try to eat the elephant, so to speak. If you've ever heard that cheesy expression, you know the way you eat an elephant is one bite at a time. Right? So we're going to talk about some of the obstacles we face, and you can see them on your handout on page 60. We're going to talk first about the internal obstacles to starting meaningful conversations with people. First one is this, the obstacles that conversations can feel scary. The solution is in humility to put others' needs first. Conversations can feel scary, don't they? Right? With people we know, Right? We, we might know them a little bit, but we don't know them deeply. It can feel awkward to try to get to know them better. Or with people we don't know, maybe you feel like even at this conference, there's a lot of people you don't know and it's uncomfortable for you to, hard to start a conversation. Right? You wonder what people will think. You wonder how the conversation will go. You know, there are risks involved in taking the first step. And if you're anything like me, you know that fear has a way of, of blinding us to the needs of others. You see, we can get so focused on our own fears that it blinds us to the, the needs of others around us. I think the encouragement for us is from God's word is to adopt Christ-like humility. This is why Paul says in Philippians, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. And what does that mean? He explains it. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. So humility helps us overcome our fears because what we do, what we can do in humility is to kind of set aside our fears for the moment and set our eyes on, set our attention on the difficulties and hardships of other people. You can think about it this way. Fear has a way of blinding us, doesn't it? It, it focuses us on ourselves and humility helps us to, to move from focusing on ourselves to setting our eyes on the people around us that God's called us to love. Perhaps you've noticed that horses, when they, when they walk around uh, on the road, right? If you live in uh, the part of the country that I do, Pennsylvania, Dutch kind of area, you know that there's often horse and buggies going around, right? You see them, right? Well, you, you notice this, that these horses have these things on the side of their eyes, right? Called I don't actually, don't actually know what they're called. Maybe somebody here does, but they're blinders, right? Is that what they're called? 
Great, I'm gonna go with that. They're blinders. And you know what they do, right? They keep the horse focused on what's in front of them in the road, right? Because if the horse gets its eyes turned to the side of it, the car is going by, it's going to get scared and it's going to freak out. So what helps them most is to set their eyes on what's in front of them instead of being distracted by their fears. I think that's helpful for us. We often, I think perhaps we need to put blinders on it with our own fears and say, you know what? My fears are real. I'm not trying to deny the fears we have. They're real. But, but to say, all right, my fear, fears are real, but let me set my eyes on what I'm called to. I'm, I'm sent by Jesus to put my eyes on other people and to be willing to help and encourage them. So that's what I'm gonna focus on. So we overcome our fear by taking on this humble mindset of Christ. That's the first obstacle. The second obstacle is this, that conversations can feel uncomfortable. The solution is to remember that Jesus left his comfort to bring us comfort. Conversations can feel awkward sometimes, right? Sometimes you just start talking with someone and you sense pretty quickly that you and they do not have chemistry. You don't click. You don't like the things they like and they don't really like the things you like. Well, it helps in those moments to remind yourself of Jesus. Jesus left the place of perfect comfort where he was in the perfect love with the Father and the Spirit to come to you to come to this world, to come near uncomfortable people who would subject him to the greatest discomfort of all, the cross, so that we would forever know the comfort of our loving heavenly father. And he has commissioned us to be a people who move out of our comfort zone to bring comfort to others. You see, I've noticed this in myself. Maybe you've noticed it in yourself. When I think about discipleship, uh, when I go about doing discipleship, when I feel discomfort, I can feel like something's wrong, right? I can feel like, well, if it's uncomfortable, maybe I'm not, I shouldn't be doing it. But, but I think what God's word challenges us to, to think about maybe a little bit differently is that instead of reacting to discomfort as if something is wrong, we can actually see some discomfort as, as part of what we're called to. We're called to put our preferences second, to put Christ first and to put others next and then to put ourselves third even. Discomfort is part of what we're called to. So we move out of our comfort zone to bring comfort to others because Christ has brought comfort to us. That's the second obstacle. The third obstacle, uh, internally at least, is this. I have my own issues. How can I help others? Maybe you resonate with that. I've got problems. I've got burdens. My walk with God is not all that it's meant to be. I haven't even been walking this Christian life for very long. I don't have enough experience. How can I help anybody? Maybe you wonder. Well, Christian, remember this. God's word says that if you are a Christian, Christ is alive and at work in you. As we spoke about yesterday, the Holy Spirit is at work in you. So you do not need to have supreme confidence in your abilities. You do not need to have confidence in your maturity level. You don't need to have all the answers. You just need to have Jesus in you. So the solution is to have a Christ-centered confidence, not a confidence in your abilities or your experience, but a confidence in the Christ who is alive and in you by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
You have the living, life-changing, all-powerful God of the universe in you. What else do you need? Yeah, you might feel weak. Yes, you have issues. But your issues are not too big to stop God from moving through you. Your weakness is an opportunity for you and for me to lean into the power of Christ in us. So the obstacle, I have my own issues. How do we handle that? Well, we, we have a Christ-centered confidence. The fourth obstacle internally is this. I don't know how to talk to people. Does anyone resonate with that? Yeah, <laughs> thanks for raising your hand, Jack. I resonate with that. A bunch of us, I'm sure, resonate with that. Talking to people is hard, post-pandemic especially. Perhaps you've had bad experiences in the past. Perhaps you don't know what to say. You want to grow in this area, but it's hard. Well, consider for a moment this question. Do you really think that your lack of conversation skills are so great that God can't use you? Like, really? You're that bad? Probably not. <laughs> Probably not, right? Do you, do you know that numerous leaders in the Bible Moses and Timothy especially expressed the same sense of hesitation and the same fear at their own inabilities to communicate. And do you know what? It seems like God still used them so he can still use you. Your weakness is an opportunity for God to show off his power through you. So what a great encouragement that is. That means you can grow in these things. You can learn the basics of having meaningful conversations, even if conversations feel hard. It's not a mystery. It's not some impossible riddle you need to solve. It's not a Sudoku puzzle. You can figure it out. You can do it. In fact, I've listed on the handout on the other side, on the left side, 20 questions. I think it's actually 19 questions. I I listed the same question twice. It's hard, you know. (laughs) Conversations can be awkward. 19 questions to help you generate conversation. If you feel like, I don't know what to ask people, well, look, I give you 19 questions to get you started. Don't ask them all at once, but that would be awkward. But they're a good tool. One last thing here, maybe another way to think about it is this. Uh, My youngest daughter, Lillian, recently learned how to walk. Do you know how she learned that? We didn't teach her like we didn't have a class all right here's how we walk you know and I just show her or something no she just started trying to walk getting up and as she walked as learning really how to walk you know she's fallen a lot if you look at her even this week she fell on her face and she's got a scrape on her nose she learned how to walk by falling on her face Sometimes, maybe you could say this way the way we learn how to have conversations is at times you are going to fall on your face at times, you could speak to your staff. I'm, sh- I'm sure they've had the similar experiences to me. Your staff have had conversations w- with people trying to reach out and they've been awkward or they've kind of fallen on their face in conversation. Let me tell you, as a staff person who's been doing this for a decade, it's okay to fall on your face in conversation. That's how you learn. It's part of the process. Right? You can learn these skills, even though at times it'll be awkward and at times you'll fall on your face. We've talked about some of the internal uh, challenges, obstacles we face to meaningful conversations. Here's what I want to do now. I want you to turn to your little cohort. I want you to talk about which one of those four is the most difficult for you. 
Thanks for sharing, guys. There's a number of oppositions we feel internally, but I don't know if you've realized this too. I certainly have. There's not only obstacles as we try to have conversations with people. We have our own issues inside of us, but as we try to think about the world out there, the world's got a bunch of issues, right? World's messed up. So there's obstacles today to meaningful, I like that, to meaningful conversations. That was awesome. We could do some more of that in this track. That'd be fun. Uh, I thought of a couple. Here's the first one I found. An obstacle we have today to meaningful conversations is this. Many or or most relationships are digital. Uh, I was in the Albright College dining hall recently with the football team, almost 100 guys, all of them whom are, well, they're not all friends, but they're mostly friends at breakfast, you know, just an hour or two before the game. I'm sitting there trying to start conversations because I, you know, I don't know, I went to a discipleship track a couple years ago and they told me I was supposed to. And I'm looking around trying to start conversations with these guys who live together and are all friends. And to a man, they all pull out these phones and they're on Instagram. Not, no one, there's a hundred people. No one is talking to each other. They're on Instagram looking at each other's Instagrams. Seriously. So in a room full of guys who are supposed to be a team, they really struggle to talk to the people right next to them. Right? Uh, our phones, or maybe just the digital sphere, is an obstacle to in-person relationships, isn't it? We live in a digital age, and most people have most of their social time mediated through their phones. And I'm not going to be anti-tech today. I'm not trying to to do that. I'm only saying technology at times can be an obstacle to real relationships, can't it? I want to suggest that although we could have, and maybe we should have some ministry online digitally, I want to suggest that most of our ministry ought to be person to person. I'm going to suggest that the solution for us is to prioritize in-person ministry. That's not just my preference. I think that's what the scriptures call us to. You see, because Jesus, think about how he came. He didn't just, you know, come up with a cleverly uh, communicated Instagram reel or a TikTok video or a YouTube series. Uh, He didn't even write a, he didn't himself write a book. What he did was he came in the flesh. Jesus came incarnationally to meet with people face to face and to have real conversations. He prioritized in-person ministry. So I think you and I should do the same. See, I think you can have an impact online. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but the most, the deepest relationships we have are with people we know face-to-face, right? And by implication, then the deepest impact you're gonna have is not primarily if you post about this conference on social media, although we hope you do, right, media department? Sure, that's great, you can do that. But the deepest impact you're gonna have is with your family, your friends, your classmates, the people you can meet face-to-face, people in your fellowship. So prioritize in-person ministry, even in a digital world. Another obstacle out there is this, that people are guarded. I think this was what Brayton was sharing too, a bit of this, right? People don't just open up when you initiate with them, right? You might reach out and try to do all the things that we were talking about this week and people just kind of shut you down, right? Or it feels like they're shutting you down in conversation. Well, the solution here is to take interest in what they are interested in. So, this is a powerful way to open people up who at times who feel like it's hard to, to get to know. Here's, it's simple just to take an interest in what they're interested in. This means asking questions about what other people, what they like to do for fun. 
Ask questions about what gives them joy. Ask about their favorite sports team, their favorite TV show, their favorite movie, their favorite musician, their favorite class, their favorite artist, the job they are in, whatever, their favorite job. Develop an interest in the things that other people are interested in. That's a key way to help uh, develop relationships, even with people who feel a little bit guarded. Although that's key, just to, to be honest, I have not always done that well. In fact, this semester, I had a good friend of mine share vulnerably with me that it hurt him that I did not take an interest in one of the things he was particularly interested in. That was, when he shared that, I realized he wasn't just saying, you're not interested in this thing. He was saying, you say you love me, you say you care about me, but you're not interested in the things that really excite me. So it doesn't really feel like you care or you love me, right? And when we don't take an interest in things people are interested in, that's one of the things we're communicating. So one of the ways to develop meaningful conversations or to have meaningful conversations is to take an interest in the things that interest other people, even if you find them not the most interesting thing in the world. A third obstacle out there is this, is that people can be suspicious, can't they? Right? They can be skeptical. The solution then is to have gentle, loving persistence. I mentioned earlier that I was with the football team. One of my kind of roles with Disciple Makers, I work with the Albright football team as a coach of spiritual life, which just means I lead Bible studies. And when I was introduced to the team last fall, a number of the guys got, felt like very awkward around me, right? Maybe you've had this experience. At times, non-Christians can feel like Christian leaders are kind of weird. They don't know, really know what to do with me. One of those guys was Alex. Alex did not have uh, the most Christian vocabulary, you could say. He had he, some language that was different from what I was used to, and he wasn't particularly interested in Bible study. But over the months of being around the football team, showing up to practice, coming to games, just having really short conversations, how are you doing, how are things going, that kind of thing, Alex started to open up. He started to share honestly about the brokenness in his family. He started to share honestly about that he only felt like one person in his family really loved him, and that was his grandmother. And his grandmother had recently died. And, the, and so for Alex, his view of God was basically like his grandmother caring about him and looking out for him. Eric, Eric Alex shared that vulnerably with me. Um, and even after that, he said, can we get together and talk more about religion and faith sometime? And we sat down for half an hour or so and talked about the Bible and the gospel now, Alex did not become a Christian that would make this story perfect. It didn't happen, um, at least not yet. But over the months of persistence, just showing up, not doing anything fancy or special or remarkable, but being persistent and loving, we had an opportunity to talk about the gospel. See, the way we overcome people's suspicion towards Christians is with a gentle, loving persistence. The final external obstacle, I think, is this. This is a real one. People can be boring. I feel like I shouldn't say that. Is that wrong to say that? People can feel boring to us, okay? Does anyone resonate with that? Just me? Like, no, you're the only one. But people can feel boring. So what do we do? We develop a Christ-like curiosity. If I'm honest, at times I can be bored with people. I know that's sinful. I'm not necessarily, I'm not saying that's a good thing. Sometimes we can get bored or tired or we had a long day or we've got our own stuff going on. 
We don't maybe share much in common with this person. We're not interested in what they're interested in. So we wonder, I mean, I can't even talk to this person for five minutes, and you want me to talk to them for 50 minutes? Like, that's insane. How could I possibly do that? Well, the solution is fairly simple, is to develop a Christ-like curiosity. A Christ-like curiosity. Think about this. Jesus came to earth, lived 33 years here. He never had a conversation where he learned anything in one sense, right? He wasn't surprised. He was like, wow, I didn't know you were interested in basketball or whatever. They weren't, right? He wasn't surprised. And yet, if you read the gospel accounts about Jesus, you find him constantly asking questions of people. He didn't get bored of people, even though he knew lots of things about them. He had this constant curiosity and care for them. Jesus, in his earthly ministry, demonstrates a remarkable curiosity and concern for others. So in general, when we feel people are boring to us, it's an opportunity to choose to press in. It's to choose to press in. And even as David was talking about uh, sowing to the flesh versus the spirit, it's an opportunity for us to not sow to the flesh and say, I'm bored of this person, I'm done. But in that moment, we have an opportunity, don't we, to sow to the spirit to begin to cultivate the fruits of the spirit in our own life and say, yes, in my flesh, I do feel a little bit bored, but I wanna be more like Christ. So God, help me to be more interested and more caring towards this person. All right, we've talked about the internal opposition, the internal challenges. We just talked about the external ones. Now turn back to your little cohort and talk about which one of these obstacles is most difficult for you. There's a number of obstacles. We've talked about them internally and externally and tried to address them with God's word. I wanna just spend a couple moments here talking very practically. One expression I heard recently that I like is this, put the cookies on the lowest shelf. That means put the good stuff in a place where everyone can get it. And so what what I'm trying to do in this last little point here, which I'll do briefly, is to put discipleship at, at its maybe most simple level It's a little formulaic here. I'm not saying, just to be clear, this is the only way to discipleship. If you follow this, it'll be perfect. And if you don't follow this, you're not doing discipleship. I'm not saying that, just to be clear. I'm saying this is a good way to get started. Sound good? And I'm particularly focused here on opportunities for longer conversations of maybe half an hour or so. The kind of thing that you might sit down with another a brother or sister in your fellowship over half an hour, you know, maybe during free time and say, hey, I want to talk to you and get to know you better. Maybe you do that for, oh, during free time or maybe over a meal. These are longer conversations that I'm thinking of in general than just passing conversations. All right, here's the key to a meaningful conversation. Practical steps. First one is this, pray. Pray. Prayer helps us set the the terms of the conversation to be expressly spiritual. It brings God into the conversation from the very beginning. If you have trouble having conversations with people, I've had this challenge. In the fellowship, I've sat down with guys and not really had spiritual conversations. I probably shouldn't say that in front of my coworkers, but it's true. And one of the ways I have, I've definitely failed in that way, but one of the things that helped me is to start conversations with other guys where I just start by praying for them and for the time. Start by praying. Perhaps you're in a conversation with someone who wouldn't identify as a Christian or would feel awkward by it. Then you can still pray. Just pray quietly to yourself. Ask God to help you and for you to be a light to them during the conversation. All right, that's one, pray. Second thing is this, ask them how they're doing. Wow, I'm really you know, reinventing the wheel here. 
pretty simple stuff here. Ask people how they're doing and genuinely mean it. Do you know that that, I mean, it's not complicated. Mark said this earlier. The Christian life is not complicated. It's simple, but people feel really, really loved by this. Ask, how are you doing, man? How are you, sister? It's been a while. What's going on with you? I've got 20 minutes. I want to hear. That really means a lot to people. I bet that if, I, if someone did that to you today, you'd feel really loved by that. So we can go and do that to others. Ask people how they're really doing. Second thing, the third thing is this. Ask general questions about various areas of life. So this is helpful because it helps us to see people as people who have uh, more going on in their life than we often have our eyes to see. So we can ask people about their academics or their job or their family or their sports or their hobbies or their, and their spiritual lives. We shouldn't just ask about spiritual things and we shouldn't just ask about academic things or sports or whatever. But we should ask about general things and try to get a sense for different categories of people's lives. It gives us the wide angle lens for what's going on. We want the wide angle lens, but I do think if we're gonna get really closer to helping people spiritually, we wanna be able to, after maybe doing the wide angle lens, zero in for a moment and have specific ideas of what we wanna talk about with people. So just something that's particularly helped me to think of something you wanna talk about with someone ahead of time. Think about what the person's going through. Think about something about the person you're curious about. And maybe even if you struggle to ask questions, you could even use some of the questions on the handout, those 19 questions. That could be a question you're like, hey, I've never heard your testimony. Tell me your testimony. That is one question that opens up a whole door for a number of other questions which is the next point on our handout. Not only should you ask a question, think of something ahead of time, but you should ask follow-up questions. You know, most amazing conversations don't start with someone starting out with an amazing question. Most conversations, the best parts of conversations really happen in the follow-up. We say, huh, tell me more about that. Tell me why it made you feel that way when she said that. Tell me why your vacation has just been so disappointing for you. Ask why, ask follow-up questions. We're also, another thing that's key in conversations is to reflect back what people are saying. This is really simple and really obvious, but it opens people up to, to be willing to speak more. So they might share with you about, I don't know, their spring break or something and say, huh, I hear you saying your spring break was really disappointing because you really missed the community that you have here on campus. Is that what you're saying? So we're, we should reflect what people are saying. Maybe another thing we can do if we want to even get deeper is to ask why questions. We're almost, we're starting to trickle in from Discipleship 101 almost to, I don't know, 150 or 200 here. I put a quote for you on your handout from a counselor, a Christian counselor called, named Ed Welch. He says this, when happy, we possess something we love. When anxious, something we love is at risk. Sorry, I read that wrong. When happy, we possess something we love. When anxious, we, something we love is at risk. When despondent, something we love has been lost. When angry, something we love is being stolen or kept from us. That quote's really helpful because it connects two things. Our emotions, happy, anxious, despondent, angry, with our heart. You see, our emotions and other people's emotions are a clue to our heart's loves and desires. So you could ask people about the things that they love and they long for. If you're starting to do this, you're starting to do to get to the heart and you're really starting to move almost into deeper levels of discipleship, which is great. If you can have conversations where you're starting to get at what people love or 
then you're, re- you're really um, helping them to see more of themselves and Lord willing, more of Christ. The last thing is this, for practical guide to conversations, it's this, summarize what people are saying and ask if they agree. We've kind of touched on this before, but this is a great way to kind of uh, round off a conversation. You listen to them, you draw them out, you say maybe over 15 or 20 minutes, then you summarize what you've heard. Wow, I really appreciate you sharing your testimony. Seems like your parents laid a great foundation for you to know Jesus better. Is that, do I hear you saying that right? So you end the conversation by summarizing what they're saying to make sure that you're on the same page with them. Because something happens sometimes in communication, which is they say something and you hear something else, right? They might say, you know, they had a great time on vacation. And you think one thing of what it means to be great, like you may think that's awesome, but for them, great isn't very good. I don't know. People have weird definitions of different things, right? So you might want to clarify in terms particularly. All right, we've talked a little bit practically here. Let's take a few moments. Dave's going to come up. We'll just do some dialogue on some of these things. I really appreciate a lot of the things you're saying. There's a, there's, so there's this scholar. His name is Ed Sheen. He's a research guy. He's not a Christian. He's from the MIT School of Management called the Sloan School. They did a bunch of research recently and they're, because they're interested in this whole idea that, you know, some people can't have conversations yeah. with people anymore. This is the MIT School of Business. And what they came up with at the end, what they, all this research and awards have, basically what they've said, the thing that makes the difference is humility and curiosity about other people. Hmm. Isn't that crazy? Wow. It's basically what you're saying in that that's sort of a skill, the things that you're coaching us in, I think are really, really valuable. Uh, just any other thoughts, Lincoln, on the how do we initiate this conversation? Do you just say to someone, hey, can we hang out and catch up sometime? Or any yeah. just tips for how to, how to, I think starting the conversation can be a challenge. Yeah, I'd love to spend some time getting to know you better. I don't know you very well. Yeah. Can we spend half an hour? Keeping it shorter for the first meeting or two, especially if you're going to try to do something consistent, shorter is usually better. And that's countercultural. Yeah. Yeah. All right. One. And guys especially, I don't know if this is normal with girls. I don't know. But guys get weirded out by this. So just guys, I'm just telling you, they're going to be weirded out. And that's okay. We have to take a break in just a second, but could you just say a word or two about awkward? Like, a word or two about awkward. I think generation, there's a thing going on there where we're like, I can't, yeah. awkward, I don't, right? it's going to be weird. I'm awkward, they're awkward. We're just going to sit there and stare at each other. And fear of awkward, <laughs> is that a word? Aquaphobia, not yeah. aqua, awkward phobia. Is that, say a word or two about that. Like, because I think sure. that's a real crippling fear. Like, what if I say something or the conversation just dies? Or what do we do about awkwardness? What do we do about awkwardness? Yeah. yeah. Well, if the conversation j- just dies, a great thing to do Basically what Ben said earlier, just take out your Bible and pick whatever passage you've been learning about. Tell them about 2 Timothy. You've learned a whole lot about 2 Timothy this week. Literally pick anything in the Bible and talk about it, yeah. right? Or really ask, have a conversation about it. That's one thing to do if you don't know what to say. If you say something wrong or it feels awkward and, and you sense that you said something that was weird, you say, hey, was that awkward? And I found that actually that, that can be helpful to address the elephant in the room. I'm sorry if I was awkward. Would you forgive me? Mm-hmm. Let me look at the questions I wrote down. <laughs> no, and, don't write down any And questions. that's not necessarily a sign that something is wrong. It's not. No, it's really not. I, I think that's a thing because I, we think that awkwardness in Christian community can mean, well, something is wrong. Yeah. Whereas very often it means that maybe something isn't wrong. See, that could have been awkward. And that it doesn't very, mean that something is wrong. Is Tim telling us we need to be done or something? <laughs> we need um, to take a break. So yeah, one last thing on, this, on, on awkward. I do think 
it feels awkward at, at first. I remember one guy at Kutztown years ago, none of you know him. He was super, super awkward. I found, felt him to be, maybe- He's he, talking he, about you me. Know, no, was it? <laughs> but he was persistent with guys and invested in them and tried to get to know him. And everyone was like, oh, I click with this guy. I'm, I'm like, he's like, I'm like, you don't even, like, he's like a weird music guy and you're like a bulky gym guy. Like, how are you friends with him? Well, he just connected, he invested in people and he got past the awkward season and developed real relationships with people. And I think that's for the most part true. Like genuine curiosity. Genuine curiosity helped him over, overcome the initial yeah. hump of awkwardness. 11.35, we're gonna be back. Take a 10 minute break.